And the book of Daniel is where we are today in our study. Uh, This survey through the scripture has been awesome and amazing, and it seems to not get any easier for me. I was hoping that as we uh, got, you know, 20, 25 books into the Bible, this would be a breeze. I'd be like, oh, I've got this great little uh, system now, and I've got this great little organized um, uh, outline that I can teach from. And it has not happened that way at all, because every book is so unique and so rich in what it shares and what it tells. Again, the hope of a survey like this comes from the idea that we, we need to see this, this whole book is connected. This whole book is written by one author, ultimately. Um, it's inspired by the hand of the Holy Spirit of God, and it's written by several different authors, human authors, but ultimately, it's, it's one continuous story. It's one continuous revelation of who God is. And so today, we find ourselves in the book of Daniel, one of the prophets uh, following the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, we talked about being the, the exile prophet, the one who was exiled to Babylon. And he was there to tell the, the people that were in exile that had been deported out of Jerusalem about the future, about the present, about the the very near future, the very far future. Um, Today we pick up Daniel, who is, uh, I call him the young and old exiled prophet, um, because Daniel, uh, when he was exiled, he was just a teenager. Whenever he was sent to Babylon, a young, young man, and he dates almost all of his visions are, are dated, which is very helpful to us. Um, it gives us, it helps gives us uh, some, the ages of him and the time frame in which he was. Uh, in fact, it, it gives us a very clear uh, understanding of he started his ministry three years after he was deported, after he had ended up in exile. Three years later, uh, Daniel was, uh, began his ministry and he was there the whole 70 year captivity. If you remember the book of Jeremiah, says that he that the captivity would last 70 years. Daniel is the one that saw that. He was reading his Bible one night. He saw that uh, that God had prophesied that. He realized they were about they were there for about 68 years and he's like the time's coming. We're going to get close and we'll see here uh, toward um, a little later in this book where he actually explains that. He says he was reading and he sees that this should happen and he knows the time is close. Why? Because God never lies. He's, his timetable is never off. He's always right. Daniel was a great guy that we can look to for uh, an outstanding witness. He was, he was strong. He was courageous. He was one that wasn't going to just back down. Uh, he started his ministry. Uh, his contemporaries, he lived in the time frame of, uh, you may hear names like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was old when, uh, when Daniel was young. You got Jeremiah, you got Habakkuk, uh, Ezekiel, possibly even Obadiah. Uh, some of his contemporaries. And so if you kind of look at these, these, these men and how their ministries went, uh, they all say, um, they all have a different, a different way of saying what God is trying to say to his people. And Daniel was, when he began his ministry, he was 19 years old. Young guy. Young guy. Imagine a 19-year-old preacher coming in here telling you something that is from the Lord. It's sometimes hard. The older I get, the harder it is to, for me to listen to somebody that is half my age. It just is. If it, you know, some 19-year-old guy come in and tell me, this is what the Lord wants you to know, I'm going to say, okay, you're going to have to prove it to me. Right? You're going to have to prove some things to me. Um, Daniel was young when he began his ministry, but his uh, last years of his, um, uh, of his prophesying, he was 92 now, if a 92-year-old comes up to me and says, here's what the Lord says, I'm going to just start believing it. I'm just going to oh, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, because you have lived way more life than me. You understand, uh, you'll, you, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know, right? Like that's somebody that is wise beyond their years and, and, just, uh, and, and their years are wise beyond my years. Um, so Daniel had a very long ministry uh, from 19 to 92. It's just uh, uh, wild to see and think about. And so he actually dates, uh, again, his, um, his prophecies. And so we can even see when he wrote chapter 1, he was 19. When he wrote chapter 2, he was 22. Uh, 3 and 4, we don't know exactly. Uh, chapter 5, he was 87. So it, it, there's a big jump there in years. Uh, chapter 6, he was 88. 
Chapter 7, he was 84. Oh, why is it out of order? There's a reason. Um, chapter 8, he was 87. Chapter 9, he was 88. And chapter 10, 11, and 12, he wrote when he was 92. Now, those dates and numbers don't matter, but that's just to give us an understanding that this was, this was a long process for these 12 chapters. Um, sometimes, I think, in our day today, if God doesn't give us an answer to something in a couple of weeks, we're frustrated. We just are. We're like, Lord, I asked you for that 15 minutes ago. Maybe you need, maybe your angels need to go and do some Chick-fil-A training, right? And then get me my order on time because this just takes too long. Um, there is something to be said about uh, the, the, the time frame of God. There's also something to be said about, um, when I look at this about Daniel, so I'm, I'm seeing this a little bit differently now that we've been going through this, this survey of the scripture. Because I've seen kings and reforms and revivals and, and priests and prophets and all, all these different people. And one of the things that, that wows me is Daniel was faithful to the end. Like he, he was just a faithful guy. He, he didn't just come in as a flash in the pan and was exciting for a minute and then left. He was a guy who lasted. He lasted. There's something important and valuable that I think the world misses today about people who just last. Uh, there's something valuable about it. Now, through all of that, if you think about it, that's a long time to be prophesying. So he had a lot of different kings he was prophesying under. Uh, in fact, the first four chapters of Daniel, uh, the king in charge was Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see him as a prominent figure in the first four chapters. Then chapter five, it was a guy named Belshazzar. We will see in his uh, whole situation a, um, uh, the writing on the wall kind of thing. It's kind of wild and, incre and incredible. Um, we know that in chapters 7 and 8, Belshazzar was also the king. In chapters 6 and 9, those were uh, Darius was the king that he was serving under. And then we know in cha from chapters 10 to 12, uh, it was Cyrus, who was, um, uh, Cyrus, who was uh, the governor of Persia, who, uh, the king of Persia, who ended up decreeing that the Jews go back to Jerusalem. So uh, Daniel was here during all these different kings and all these different leaders. And he was, here's the thing about Daniel, he was, he was um, in a prominent position all the time because he was consistent and people could count on him and the Lord was using him. So the kings even wanted him close, uh, except for one. We'll read that in just a minute. But um, the first half of Daniel is a great place for anybody to go through if you are going through testings or trials. Uh, the first half of Daniel talks about how you can handle those. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a challenge to your witness. How do, you, how do you handle that? How do you walk through that? There's a challenge to your worship. How do you walk through when somebody's trying to force you to do something that doesn't align with God's Word? There's Daniel shows with his friends how they overcame that. Whenever there's a challenge too big for the world to understand, Daniel and his friends show God is big enough, and here's how you walk through that. Uh, the first half of Daniel is great for that. And so um, we, his steadfastness uh, is something we can all learn from. We're going to look at the book of Daniel in two parts. So uh, we're going to jump in pretty quickly here because uh, there's a lot that I have written out today for our notes. Um, good luck. So there's two, we're going to look at it in two parts, the first six chapters and then chapters 7 through 12. So we're going to split it directly in half. Uh, we're going to look, the first, first section is, um, uh, I'm going to call Daniel and his friends. And the, sex, the second section, I'm going to call Daniel and the future. Um, so we've got uh, Daniel and his friends, these guys, um, which we will find out their names. I, I've preached through Daniel several times in different areas and ways. Uh, Daniel had three friends. Those three friends, uh, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the Bible, that's their, that's their Babylonian name. The Bible lists them as their Hebrew name, uh, which was uh, Azariah, Mishael, and... Um, uh, Oh, goodness, what was his other name? Um, I said them out of order. Hananiah. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Um, and so they are, that's their Hebrew God-given names. Those mean uh, God provides, God is good, God is strong, God's the only God, no God like God. Um, whenever, whenever King Nebuchadnezzar brings them into Babylon, he changes their names uh, to hopefully brainwash them. That's, the, that's the, the Babylonian way was to brainwash the people that they brought in. So they changed their Hebrew names that all exalted God into names that all exalted the Baals or the, the false gods. Um, and so that's, uh, that's how Nebuchadnezzar would, he, he kind of directly identify, he, he directly attacked their identity. 
He says, you're not really who you think you are. I'll tell you who you are. And then he begins to call their name over and over and over again. In fact, their names are called by the Babylonian names more times in this book than, than it's almost repetitive. It's like, why are they doing that? Because they are trying their best. The world is trying its best to re-identify you. That's what the world is trying to do. So uh, Daniel and his friends teach us some valuable lessons uh, going through uh, this book. We're going to look, chapter 1 is all about the holy, I, I think uh, our title of chapter 1, Holiness. Um, Daniel and his friends are faithful to the Lord, and uh, they give, uh, the Lord gives them favor. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all descendants, by the way, of the godly king Hezekiah. So if you look through the lineage, Hezekiah, of one of the great reformists of, of uh the, the Judah, Judean people uh, was, uh, these guys are the descendants of him. And so uh, the first, again, the first move here in chapter one, we see that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar changes their names, tries to make them forget who they are. There, there are temptations that Daniel triumphs over. Uh, Babylon is, is a vile place. They do things that are, that are unclean to the Hebrew people. So Daniel says in chapter one, he's like, I'm not going to eat this because it's unclean. And what happens is because Daniel was faithful, he did something very brave, he did something very courageous, and God gave him favor among the people. That's, that's why, because he was honoring to the Lord. Now, Daniel could have, in, in my mind, that doesn't even make sense. If I want to gain favor with people, I'll eat what they put in front of me, right? That's, that's, that makes sense. Yet, Daniel says, I'm not going to do this because that's not, to who, that's not who I am. Now, if you think about it, Daniel's saying, that's not who I am. While the whole time, Nebuchadnezzar's saying, here's who your all's new names are. And he's like, that new name may sound good to you. It's not ringing with me. Just not, not in my spirit, it's just not checking with me. So we see in chapter one, Daniel triumphs over all these temptations. Babylon tries to tempt him and tries to um, uh, ha have him eat the food that's at the king's table. Um, and then he listened, then, then Nebuchadnezzar actually listened to uh, Daniel. In chapter two, We'll see it kind of builds. Uh, I, I titled chapter one, The Believer's Holiness. I titled this one, The Believer's Boldness. Um, the, the boldness of, of Daniel and these guys is just awesome. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in chapter two. Listen to this. This is, this is so cool. He has a dream and he asks all of his soothsayers. He brings all his people in. He says, hey, I need you guys to interpret this. He's, at first, he forgets the dream. He's like, I need you to tell me what the dream was and then I need you to interpret it for me. So he brings all these soothsayers in. They don't know. Nebuchadnezzar's mad. He's angry. And he's saying, I, if somebody doesn't tell me what this is, I'm going to kill them. I'm just, gonna, I'm just killing everybody that doesn't know. And then down in verse number 16, listen to this. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. You know what Daniel did? He was bold. He went in and say, I'll take care of it. Why? Because he had that much trust in the Lord. Let me tell you, whenever you can start going to the, the, the world and saying, I've got the answer. I, I've got, I've, I can tell you what's in this book. I can tell you the one that I trust in, has, he can take care of any of these issues, any of these circumstances, any of these things. So Daniel goes in and says, I'll, I'll, you know what, king, set up a time. I'll come in and tell you what's going on. Then what does Daniel do next? He goes to his friends and he says, hey, friends, it's time to pray. This is quintessential what my dad used to do. So my dad was the pastor of this church for 22 years. If you knew him, you were blessed and cursed at the same time. He would go on a vision trip somewhere. He, I was with him one time. I was with him one time. We were in uh, someplace in Ohio or Kentucky or Indiana. I don't, it was a group of pastors. And he said he had not gotten any approval from the church. Listen, he went and he said, we are going to adopt your association we will come up here for the next five years and do anything that you need. And on the drive back, he told me, I was riding in the passenger seat of his little, uh, his Ford Taurus at the time. Hey, I was riding the passenger seat and I said, I said, that is awesome that the church is going to do that. He said, yeah, now we just got to go tell the church. I said, what? <laughs> he said, he said, yeah, I tend to get us in a mess, but the Lord told me we're doing this. And I was like, I don't know if this is the right way to do it or not, but okay. That was Daniel in this situation. He goes to the king. Hey, king, set me up a time. We're going to take care of this. Then he goes to his friends and he says, hey guys, listen, we got to go meet before the king. We need you to pray. That's what we need you to do. So he tells his friends, he tells his guys, he says, we need to pray like our life depends on it because the king is on a killing spree and he says he's going to kill people that don't interpret this right. So 
His friends get together. They pray in chapter 2. It's a really cool thing. Uh, it's awesome. Then Daniel, uh, he even goes and gives the vision to the king. Now, his vision, uh, this, it is important to note. And so I want to spend just a minute on the vision or the dream the king had and then the one that Daniel uh, presented. In verses 31 all the way down through 45 is the interpretation of the dream. So the dream interpretation, he sees this, 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 uh, this figure, this statue uh, in his dream, and the statue has multiple parts on it, multiple different, uh, in, in, in fact, even different uh, materials made in this statue. Uh, there was a head of gold. There was the breasts and arms of silver. So if you can imagine just like kind of a, a torso, top torso and arms of silver, there was the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, uh, ten toes of iron and clay, and then the stone that was, um, uh, that was cut without hands. So there, there's this figure, right? And it's, it's got all these different... So you've got to think these materials are not only different they, different, they look different, they feel different, they're different weights. There's, it's important to know how heavy some of these items are. Uh, there, it each gives a symbol of uh, something that is to come. Now, the, whenever you hear the dream and you hear about how heavy each of these items are or how shiny or dull these items are, uh, for us, we hear about it. I, I can, we can go do all this research, figure out what he was talking about, and then see whenever the, the Grecian Empire ended up taking over and, oh, that was this piece, and, oh, this makes sense. They had no idea, right? This is just... Uh, this is all prophetic. None of this has happened yet. And so if, of this statue, uh, we know now after study and after history has already passed that um, there is uh, the Babylonian Empire was the one for the head of gold. The Medo persian Empire was that silver uh, breast and arms of silver. Uh, the Grecian or the Greek Empire was the next one of the belly and thighs. Now, again, you don't have to like rattle this down and know all this because we, we're going to come back to it. Uh, throughout this book. And then the legs of iron uh, was the Roman Empire, the toes uh, and the, the feet or the Antichrist, and then uh, Jesus ends up being the final kingdom that is the only one that matters. Um, but that's, that's the, the statue that he sees. So these are the, the prophetic pieces of this statue. Uh, we'll, what we'll find is in chapter 7, he's going to reiterate a couple of these with different, with different um, uh, things. They're going to be animals. And then we're going to see in chapter 8, he's going, to, he's going to prophesy again with even different parts, each of these to kind of explain a little bit further what's happening and what's going to happen. So uh, that dream is very important in the book of Daniel. It's Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and the way Daniel even prophesied about it or interpreted it uh, was, I think, something, as I did this survey, I think this is what sparked chapter 3. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this statue. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do in chapter 3? He builds a statue, a big golden statue. That's what he does. And he tells everybody, it's 90 feet tall, 90 feet tall. The, the cross is 98 feet tall in our parking lot. This thing is 90 feet tall. Now, they didn't have cranes back then. They didn't have, uh, you know, welders to, to put a steel base on. It was 9 feet wide in certain areas. The cross out there is only eight feet wide in certain areas. This thing is humongous. This statue is enormous. Uh, in chapter 3 is when we see this statue. Uh, I think, again, in my mind, I, I think it was probably due to the fact that his dream, he, as a king that was worldly, misinterpreted it. Even though Daniel said, hey, here's the interpretation of your dream, Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. And Daniel, he, he, Daniel gets promoted. By the way, Daniel's, they, they, they're like, we love this guy. He's awesome. Man, we really want him. His friends, come on. We want you guys in charge of stuff because you have value to me. And then chapter 3 comes, and Nebuchadnezzar, I, you know, and I'm not, this is a little bit of speculation. But there's a part of me that thinks Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, Daniel, I want you to check this out. I built a statue from my dream. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? And Daniel being like, no, this is not what I was talking about at all. You've completely misunderstood all that I said. Here's what happens. He builds this statue in chapter 3. Uh, it's huge. Now, if we, if we think about it in the biblical numbers, 
Uh, this, is another, this is another thing to note. So Nebuchadnezzar is known throughout uh, a lot of theologians and uh, scholars will name Nebuchadnezzar the first of the king of the Gentiles. Now that's important to note for a prophecy that later will be fulfilled. Because the first, so if he's the first of the king of the Gentiles, then it helps us to, to unravel some things that will be, there's a last king of the Gentiles that, are, that is coming. Uh, that one is called the Antichrist. Now, that is a, the, the king of the people of the world, the people that are not of God. Um, and so the, this first king of the Gentiles, King Nebuchadnezzar, builds a statue and it's 90 feet tall. Now we know that because we've converted, I've converted cubits to feet, right? Cubits to feet. Um, if we just look at the biblical um, uh, description, it's 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That is, the num- six is the number of man. So what the first king of the Gentiles has done is build this worshipful idol that is all about man. You can do it yourself. You know, if you look at a works-based religion and a grace-based religion, works-based says you can do it yourself. You can bring enough to God. You can do enough for God. And a grace-based religion says God has to come to you because you couldn't get there. That's just not, just, you, you, didn't, you couldn't do enough to make God happy. So God had to take care of all of the needs for himself so that you could be in his family by grace. So this first king of the Gentiles builds this statue measured by the number of man. And he tells, we know this story well, right? We've heard it in Bible school our whole lives. Uh, He tells everyone at this certain time of the day, no matter where you are, you bow down to this um, statue and you worship it. And uh, what happens next, he says, if you don't do this, then you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Daniel and his friends don't do it. They're like, we're not doing that because that's, that's not who my worship is going to. If chapter 1 is the believer's holiness and the chapter 2 is the believer's boldness to go out and be bold and, and put yourself in a situation where you, where you have to have God act, it's not on you. And then the third chapter is, I think, the believer's worship. Uh, this is where, where are you going to direct your devotion to? And Daniel and his friends say, we're not going to bow down to this statue because the statue's not God. So it's not what we bow to. We only bow to God. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, he gets furious about this, but he gives him a second chance. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he's, listen, he is a, uh, he's, he's a, a, a wise guy. He's a, a gentle-spirited man. He's like, I'm going to give these guys a second chance because I'm generous, right? And that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. Well, they, so he says, I'm going to give you guys another chance. Why don't you bow down? They're like, sorry, we're not doing it. So he says, okay, turn, now he's, now he's getting angry, furious, mad, turn the furnace up. We're going to send these guys in it. The guys carrying uh, and walking Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego into the fiery furnace. The guys walking them in there die. And so at that point, like, they're, they're trying to throw them in this furnace. They die. I'm almost wondering at that point, how did they really get in the furnace? The guys that were throwing them in died. I don't know if, you know, at some point, Shadrach turns to, to Abednego and he's like, all right, cannonball, right? And jumps in. I don't know, maybe, um, not quite. But as I, as I see this story play out, um, there's, we, we, know, we see this now, and we, we know it because it's just like this iconic story in Scripture. And after, after, after it's all said and done, you know, they don't burn up in the furnace. They don't even smell like smoke when they come. Their clothes aren't even, aren't even singed. Um, but they see a fourth guy in the furnace. They're like, what? There's how many, how many do we, we threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and now we've got uh, uh, this fourth guy in there. Where, where did he come from? Like, what, what's, his, what's his story? Why is there four? Are we just seeing something with our eyes? No, Jesus was in there, right? That's what we know. Um, these three, they, then they pull three guys back out, and they're like, where'd that fourth guy go? It's like, I don't know. It's like, well, he was just there to, to, to commune with them for a little while. They come out. Their clothes are not burned. They're not, they don't smell like smoke. They're fine. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, is overwhelmed. He's like, oh my goodness, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the true God. Um, so if, you, if you're reading this and seeing this, um, at, at the end of chapter 3, his heart is turned away from, uh, his turned toward God. Listen to the beginning of chapter 4. This is what uh, just kind of rocks me a little bit. If you read chapter 4, verse number 1, I want to I read this to you, and I want you to hear it. Um, for, for what it says. Because chapter 4, 
there's a, there's a, a I, when I read this last night, again, I just thought, this sounds like somebody else. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. That sounds like a Paul letter. That sounds like the Apostle Paul's writing that. Like, what in the world? This is the guy that just threw some guys in a furnace because they didn't worship something he built. And now he's saying, peace be multiplied to you. He is, um, uh, he's converted. He believes, he's praising God now. What in the world is happening? Um, he is, uh, he has a dream after his, this conversion. He has his second dream. His guys can't, can, can't interpret it, right? Daniel, uh, Daniel has to interpret this dream. And Daniel has a very, very dangerous task at hand because he's got to go interpret this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar at this point is now praising God says he's converted, he believes in the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and still calls them by their Babylonian name, but that's beside the point. Um, he, he says this is the God, so he's now writing this decree. Chapter 4 is a, here's something that is, that is noteworthy. Chapter 4 is a state document for the people of Babylon. So this is not just a, um, a, a, a thought that Daniel's writing. This is a state, official sealed state document in the people of Babylon, in the nation of Babylon. So knowing that in chapter four, that's why he even starts to all peoples, all nations, all languages that dwell on the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar says, this is our official statement coming out. Peace be multiplied to you. Peace, the Babylonians were not known for peace, y'all. They were known for some hard time stuff, hard to struggle, struggle destruction stuff. Um, but they, he talk, And he's going on, it has uh, seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders of the Most High God and what he's done for me and all this. So he has this dream, and in this dream, uh, he, is, uh, he, he gives this dream. So Daniel has to come and interpret this dream. The dream is not something it would be fun. Uh, in fact, it was a very dangerous task. Uh, he had to interpret the dream, and he, says, he does so at the end of chapter 4. And it is tell, telling Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go insane. That's what's going to happen. So within this like state document, he, he's, he's writing this letter and he's, he's doing this, this piece. And then there's this, this element that adds in that says, hey, you are going to go crazy, king. And you're going to, and he talks about it in, in chapter, in the end of chapter four, it talks about what he's going to be like. He's going to be like an ox out in the field. He's going to be eating grass. He's going to be doing weird things. He's going to lose his mind. This is going to be hard. Um, and it's going to be because of his pride, as it says in, in chapter 27 or verse 27. Um, and here's what happens in verses 28 through 33. We see him actually do it. So the king is walking around and he's looking at all of Babylon and he says, look at what all I have built, how great this city is. Before he can even get the words out, God smites him. I mean, just in that moment, gives him this insanity. And the king goes a little bit crazy. In verse number 31, you think I'm crazy, listen to this. Uh, verse number 31, uh, while the words were still in the king's mouth, again, he was, let me go back and read verse 30. The king said, is it not great, this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power and a royal residence for all the glory of my majesty? Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you should be driven uh, from all among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox. The seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a wild scene that takes place. It, it happens. Daniel had, had, had uh, prophesied to that. And in that, uh, this is his testimony at the end of chapter 4. In this state document, listen to these remarkable, remarkable words. Verses 34 through 37. I want to read this. I know that I, I'm maybe taking up too much time, but I, I just want to read these words. At the end of the days, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. 
among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me, my counselors, my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven. For all the works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar, his, his true conversion to the Jehovah God, the one who is the king of heaven, uh, is a beautiful testimony to, this is an official word. I want to make sure I write this down. I want to make sure this is, this is a part of who I am now. I have turned, he, he is the one that is in control. He can humble anybody he wants to humble. Now, we, we take chapter 4, and we, we run it into chapter 5. Chapter 5, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, just like uh, Daniel had said he would be. Uh, but there's another guy like named Belshazzar. Belshazzar, the king, um, is not willing to be humbled. Um, he came into power, repu- refused to repent, and handwriting literally on the wall. Chapter 5 is a lot of fun. Uh, it's If you are on God's side, it's a lot of fun. Um, the... the Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians, the, the Medo Persian Empire, was, was ca- encamped right outside the walls. This king, though, was so arrogant, he said, There's no way these guys are going to come in and destroy us. Babylon's too strong. You can't get in and mess with us because I'm strong, I'm powerful. So he throws this big feast. He's got this big feast going on. He's comfortable, he's cool, he's chill. Um, and then he goes too far. He goes and gets the cups that were stolen from Jerusalem's temple, brings them in, and has, has everybody drink from these things. Basically to say, not only am I so strong, I can do anything I want, and nobody's going to mess with me. Well, guess what? Somebody messed with him, and it was the Lord. Uh, and whenever, um, I, I love how in chapter 5, whenever they call for Daniel to come in, and Daniel comes in to, to interpret the inscription on the wall, Here's what Daniel does first. At this point, Daniel is, how old is Daniel at this point? I, I wrote this down because this was, this, was, this was valuable to me. Daniel's 87 years old at this point. 87. Do you know, if you ask an 87-year-old to do something for you, they will do whatever they want. They may give you an answer right away. They may tell you more than just the answer you're looking for. And so Daniel comes in as an 87-year-old, and this king says, hey, interpreter, tell me what this means. And Daniel, instead of just looking to the wall and telling him what it means, Daniel preaches to him for a minute. Well, king, you've got a problem. Your problem is you're prideful and arrogant. He's not even looking at the inscription on the wall. Daniel's telling him what to do. He's telling him, hey, let me explain to you how this is set up. You remember that other king, Nebuchadnezzar? God humbled him. You remember this? This This was going on in this scene in these moments. So Daniel preaches a message to him and then explains to him the message that is on the wall. And that message on the wall we can find in verses 24 uh, through 28 of chapter 5. And uh, it's, it's, uh, this is the interpretation of the matter, verse 26. Uh, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed in purple chain of gold put around his neck and then verse 30 that very night belshazzar uh, the chaldean was killed just he's killed it's over that night um god is not mocked god is not uh there's no king that is going to overthrow the king of kings there is no uh kingdom that is going to outlast god's kingdom it's just not going to happen so anytime pride creeps in and makes you think you're better than you are just remember, um, Belshazzar, in the most powerful kingdom on earth at the time, the head of that statue of, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 was that head of gold uh, because that, that kingdom was going to be very strong, very mighty, very, very wealthy. Uh, that king eventually fell. That kingdom eventually fell to the Medes and the Persians, which uh, we see. Now, um, then there is a guy named uh, Darius. The Medo persian Empire comes in, chapter number 6. Uh, this is the Medo Persian Empire is the second of those kingdoms that was that was referenced in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So there was first the Babylonian uh, Empire, then there was the Medo Persian Empire. So this empire now is the one that's taking over. Well, they come in 
and explain to uh, Daniel. Daniel is still in charge. There's a guy named Darius. Darius is the king here in the Medo, the Medes and the Persians. Um, Darius is the guy. He liked Daniel. Daniel's 88 years old, and he still promoted Daniel to be uh, in his court and as a, a, a wise man minister of his state. The other ministers of the states, though, hated Daniel and wanted him dead. So they were writing policies to try to get him removed. Um, chapter 6 is where we find Daniel thrown into the lion's den. Why did he get thrown into the lion's den? Because these other people were conspiring against him. Darius liked Daniel. So Darius had a whole night of sleeplessness, hoping that Daniel was okay in this lion's den. And so they, uh, they were praying for I could just imagine Darius saying, oh my goodness, I don't want my, my, my beloved counselor to be thrown into this lion's den. Uh, morning came after Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and uh, morning came, Daniel was fine, of course. Daniel slept pretty well, I think. <laughs> Darius was up all night. Daniel was like, my Lord takes care of me. And Daniel's 88. I mean, what's he? <laughs> he's, a, a, he's an older man. I, I thought when I was a kid and I heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, the picture I saw, Daniel was this young guy. He was like 15, 20, you know, he's a young guy in there. And he's all, you know, headbutting these, you know, lions or whatever. And um, he's an 88-year-old man. He just staying there, laying around. I mean, probably took a pretty good nap. Darius is, uh, is up all night. Uh, Daniel's, he comes out of the lion's den. So a decree went out, uh, verses 25 through 27. We see uh, Darius writes a decree that says, the God of Daniel is the one that we serve. He's for real. Um, the other guys, by the way, that uh, if you read all of chapter 6, the other guys that, that had Daniel eventually thrown into the lion is the one that, the one that conspired against him. They were thrown into the lion's den and didn't make it out. So there's that, there's that part of the, of the Daniel and the lion's den story in BBS they don't tell you, right? It's like, oh, here's this group we threw in and there was blood everywhere. Like that one, that one wasn't talked about much. But that's what happens. So then um, in a, uh, you could see the decree. The decree is really, really good from this King Darius uh, that, God, that Daniel's God is real. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He's, he's good. He's strong. He's, he's amazing. So Daniel, of course, prospered during his reign of Darius and the reign of uh, Cyrus the Persian. So here's what happens now. So chapter 7. Now I know we're like, you're like, hey, we're, we need to get finished. We need to wrap up. Chapter, and we're not even halfway through. Chapter 7. We're halfway through now. Chapter 7. Uh, he has another vision. So this is the second part of our, of our survey today. Uh, chapter 7, we, we looked at the first part as Daniel, uh, you know, kind of titled Daniel and his friends. Um, and it was all about the things that were happening right then and, and some pictures of what was coming. But chapter 7 begins this kind of turn in the, in, the, in the book of Daniel where it's a lot to the future. It's a lot to world empires and what's about to come. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream from chapter 2, as we talked about, was kind of the groundwork, the foundation for what we're going to understand at a deeper level in these next few chapters. So if we look at chapter 7, this is the vision of the four beasts. Now, um, the, the difference, you know, I say that, that we are looking at, at this and it's expounding on Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Here's what I want you to picture. You're like, why is it in here twice? Why are we talking about the same thing twice? But if you, if, you, if you break down these visions and break down these prophecies, here's what you will notice. Just some, there's just hints of it. Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the, the statue with the different, different uh, uh, materials and the different structure was seen from a worldly point of view. The vision that Daniel has is seen more from God's kingdom's point of view. So there's a, there's a, a wildly different tone that happens, right? In, in Nebuchadnezzar, he sees these powers and these authorities. In Daniel's vision, he sees these falling kingdoms. He doesn't just see how rich this empire is. He sees the swiftness of this empire and how they will swiftly fall. So there's a, there's a difference. It's a God perspective or, or human's perspective. So you don't really catch that unless you do a survey, unless you're seeing it all kind of at the same time. So what happens in chapter 7 is remarkable. Uh, I want to just look through these beasts with you. Uh, and I, I remember the first time I ever preached, uh, I was a, a student pastor. Um, I had just left the church here, and I went to another church. I was a student pastor. And my first series was on the four beasts of Daniel. 
and I was, I, I don't know, I was 28, 29, something, and um, I didn't know what I was talking about. I did not know what I was talking about. I just love the cool imagery of a bear with ribs in his mouth as he is like destroyed people. Like, I love that imagery. Um, I see more now and understand a little bit more now. Um, but this is a fun place to read. It's also a place where we think, okay, what's talking about the future? What's talking about something that's already happened? What is all this? So I just want to kind of break it down for us so that we see and that we understand a little bit. So the first beast is a lion with eagle's wings. Um, that is representative of Babylon. So Babylon, uh, which again had already fa- just fallen, uh, but Babylon, um, it, was, it had supremacy over the nations, uh, but the wings were plucked out of it. If you read the the vision. The wings were plucked out, symbolizing um, that Nebuchadnezzar at some point had lost his, his lust or his zeal for conquest. He had lost his, uh, his, his excitement to continue going after more and more nations. And so because he lost that zeal, the, the wings are plucked out. Um, and then the, that beast ended up walking on two feet and giving a man's heart. Uh, it, that symbolized the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, right? He, he, was, he was this king that was like running all over and, and continuing to take over and take over and take over and take over. God ends up humbling him. God ends up saving him. And he then is given a man's heart. And uh, so that, that beast is of Babylon. The second beast is the bear raised up on one side. That's the Medo Persian Empire. Now that's what uh, he's um, uh, just talked about, what we've just talked about, the Medes and the Persians that took over Babylon, um, that took over the Babylonians. The bear, uh, it was raised on one side. There's a couple things to note about this bear. Um, there was, uh, their kingdom was very methodical, and it, it was, um, whenever they would go and take over somewhere, it was, it was a lot of human life was lost. A lot of life was lost. So if you read about that bear, it's a little bit scary. Um, they have a very dominant power. Um, you know, it says it's raised on one side. And that side was Persia. So there's Medo-Persian Empire, right? Two parts, but one part was more dominant than the other. So it wasn't the Medes, it was the Persians. The Persians were more dominant. Now, what we'll, what we'll see is in the next chapter, he talks about these again in different ways. But here's for our purposes today, we're going to look and see. Uh, there's also ribs in, in this bear's mouth um, that symbolize the conquest of the three places uh, that they primarily conquest, um, which all together, they, they allied, they, they had an ally uh, alliance together, these three other areas, and they ended up losing to the, the Persians uh, ultimately in their wars. Then the next beast is the leopard. The leopard had four head, heads and four wings. Uh, this is the, the, the kingdom of Greece. Uh, the leopard is a symbol of grace and power. So if you ever look up, you know, what a leopard stands for, it's this grace, power, you know, a leopard has this just like, if you ever watch a leopard run, I don't encourage you to do that in person, but in, uh, on TV or a video or something, a leopard runs and it's just like, it, it's almost like it's not even trying and it's just moving. Like it's just this grace and power, uh, really, really slick. And the wings on this animal suggest the speed uh, that Alexander the Great um, brought how, how he was so quick to bring the world right there to his feet. Uh, the four heads symbolize the four kingdoms that divided after Alexander the Great. There were four primary areas of division. Now, um, all this, here's, here's, what's, here's what's wild. This stuff doesn't technically um, affect us now, right? This, this is past now. It was, it was future then, and it's past now. We, got to, we get to see, we live in a time where we get to see that God gave this prophecy to Daniel, gave these visions, he wrote them down, and then God was showing them what's coming so that we could see what he already did. Like that's, we, it's, the time is just awesome to see now that, that we, we're witnessing this. Um, Daniel didn't understand this one um, uh, until a couple years later, um, this vision was made a little bit clearer to him. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but there was, uh, again, four kingdoms that divided out of, out of Greece uh, from Alexander. Um, so then the next beast uh, is the fun one. This one's the really fun one. Uh, this one was hideous, hideous. This one scared Daniel a little bit. This next beast had horns, it had iron teeth. Uh, this one symbolized Rome. And this is where uh, there is a, um, something beautiful and amazing about this prophecy because this prophecy is kind of broken into two. 
And, and as we look at this, we see things from the past, and then we see something that's not happened yet. Okay, so this is where we start to get to our future. Um, so in this, it's this, uh, this beast, hideous. Um, it had, uh, uh, there was a, there was a, a little horn. There was, um, it emerged out of it. There was a strange, um, it, it was strange. It had eyes of a man and a mouth speaking things. Uh, it was all, it was all strange and weird. Uh, this talks about how ferocious that Rome was going to end up taking over the world and, and being, being very, very, uh, uh, strong and overwhelmingly, uh, powerful. And so this little horn comes out and it starts speaking, and it's got this eye. It's like, Daniel's like, I can't figure this one out. And before he can start figuring it out, another vision comes in, and this one's the one that we could camp out all night on. And it was the, the Ancient of Days. He sees the Ancient of Days. If you look from verse 9, just keep reading, and it is awesome. Uh, Daniel looked, all of, the, uh, all of the thrones were cast down, the throne of God appeared, the Ancient of Days was sitting upon it, the fourth beast was slain, his body was destroyed, all the empires were handed over to the Son of Man. It was amazing. Um, Daniel was told what all these uh, visions meant at, down in verse number 15, if you read uh, and and it, it, it interprets this vision, kind of helps him see and understand it a little bit, a little bit deeper. Um, as he's looking at this, he was a little bit um, anxious to hear about this fourth beast. Uh, it, was, it was Rome, but it didn't make sense because it was kind of in two separate periods. We know this now. It was in two separate periods. Um, the little horn, so I really don't want to get into this, but it's in the Bible. So the little horn is representative of the Antichrist. Okay, we, 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 we are living in the time where the little horn is emerging. Okay, it's, it's, it's coming and it'll be here before we know it if it's not here already and we just, don't, we just don't recognize it and we don't see it. But in this season, uh, he is, uh, verse 25 tells us um, some time frames. Um, whenever it, it talks about uh, how, this, how this all lays out, um, there's some time frames that come at verse 25 through the end um, about how, how long this uh, Antichrist will be, and then there's some time of tribulation that comes. Again, each of, the, each of the, the next few prophecies will help us understand a little bit more as we look through the rest of the book. Um, so, it's, uh, chapter 8 comes in. I know you're like, can we just ask some questions now? No, you can't. <laughs> We're going to keep moving. Uh, I'm, only, I'm not even halfway through my notes. we got to hurry. Um, in, uh, then chapter 8 comes in. Now, chapter 8, just so you are aware is two years after chapter 7. Two years. So Daniel now, he's given this vision, and then he's got to wait two more years for this next thing to really show up. So two years after chapter 7, um, the bear and the leopard that are in chapter 7 are appear in chapter 8 as the ram and the he-goat. And so these, these two things um, are happening. Now here's, here's one of the things I want to talk about. Because this, this is what stuck out to me that was really fun. In chapter 8, what I began to see is um, Daniel was promoted. Okay, Daniel's been promoted. And so he has all this power. But Daniel doesn't even mention his promotion to any degree of importance. And I, I think, here's what I've learned. I've learned that whenever God is speaking to you, it doesn't matter what the world is telling you. Even if the world is telling you, you can get more money, you can have a higher influence, you can be promoted to a higher job, you can have a greater this, a greater that, a greater this, a greater that. Daniel says, the Lord is speaking to me. This is all that matters. It do, whenever you get so caught up with hearing truth from the Word of God, it does not matter what your promotion status looks like. It just doesn't. Because ultimately, the promotion's not going to last forever. This kingdom of the Ancient of Days will. This kingdom will. And what happens is the, the Word of God will do this power in us that will actually draw us away from the world's entanglements. The Word of God will do that. I was talking with somebody yesterday about how great Scripture is, and they said, why do you get so, you get so excited about it? I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe because if I didn't read this, um, I could focus on a lot of negative things. I really could. Let me tell you, I, if I didn't read this book regularly and, and, and study it deeply, I would be a miserable person because life's hard. Life's hard. 
I don't have air conditioner in my truck. I don't have an air conditioner in my truck. And you know what? Yesterday was hot again. It had been starting to get cooler. Yesterday was hot. And we had, my, my wife calls me. She's going to pick up one of the kids at school yesterday. She said, she calls, hey, the air conditioner's not working in the car. I was like, yeah, no, it works in the car. She's like, I'm sitting in the car. It's not working. I was like, well, maybe you don't have it turned on right. I know how to work an air conditioner or anything. Like, oh, goodness. So I meet her, and sure enough, it wasn't working. And I thought, this could be bad. This could be bad. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I started praying, Lord, can you just fix it for today? And it came back on. Now, was that because of my prayer? Probably not. My guess is there was something caught up in the fan. Okay, there was something, you know, there's always something. However, I began to think there's a lot of things I can complain about. A lot. But I want to I dive into God's word so that I see things that are better than my life in front of me. And then I can see the better things in my life. See, that's what Daniel had the privilege of doing. In chapter 8, we kind of see that all these things of the world trying to draw him away, and he's continued in the scripture. In chapter 7, we saw the bear, uh, which was the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. And in chapter 8, we see it's the ram. And in chapter uh, 7, we saw that the bear was on two sides, right? There was two sides of the bear. He was, he was propped up on one side, meaning the Persians were going to be the stronger one. Uh, the ram had two horns. Uh, one of the horns was higher than the other. So the Persian Empire would be the one that would be the stronger of the two. Um, so the, uh, the, the ram, uh, the higher horn was raised up. And so that the Persian Empire would be the stronger one. Uh, the ribs between the teeth of the bear uh, were the, the, uh, the military conquest to the west, to the north, and to the south, which were the three that tried to come against uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. So we see that happen. Now, we also see... Uh, from the leopard in chapter 7 uh, to the uh, he-goat in chapter 8, which is Greece. And um, it's, we see it came from the west in Greece uh, because it, conquer, it conquered all eastward. Greece went and started conquering to the east, which was a little bit uh, different than most others. Um, we saw that the leopard had dominion given to it. Uh, we saw over the face of the earth. They had a lot of uh, conquests in there. Um, we saw that the leopard had four wings in uh, chapter 7. In chapter 8, uh, it touched not the ground, as it says. Uh, so that empire uh, did not do that. Meaning it was moving so quickly through the conquest that it was a powerful, incredible thing. Um, there were uh, four notable horns in the, the, uh, the chapter 8 of that he-goat. And that is um, the Alexander the Great's uh, generals and his... Uh, the people that he had led. Uh, there was a, a little horn as well that comes up. And again, that talks to the next king that would come in that, uh, in that historical context. Now, all, all that is, is great, and you can sit and study on it for hours and hours and hours. But the hope is that you could see this is deeper than just these, these prophecies. Daniel prophesied this before it ever happened, and it happened. It wasn't a guess. It was, it was the word of the Lord. And Daniel was faithful to say it and, and write it out exactly how, how God said to do it. And then God did it. And God is proving to his people, I don't fail. I continue to do exactly what I say I'm going to do. No, no king is going to be strong enough to stop me. No, uh, no pride is going to be, no wealth, nothing is going to slow me down or stop me. And then what we see that happens next in chapter 9, I love chapter 9 of Daniel, uh, because this is, this is Daniel, who is a guy that um, most of the time, whenever we hear about men in the Bible or great preachers, here's what you, here's what you talk about. So somebody told me the other day I was a great preacher. And I said, well, you, you obviously don't listen to much, much preaching. <laughs> That's just the truth. And, but here's, here's what they said. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Because I want to know what you, what you think is happening whenever you, they say, well, just the way that you see the Scripture. I said, Okay. I said, let me ask you this. If you put 80 hours into reading for one text, what do you think is going to happen? They were like, well, I guess I would see something I haven't seen before. I was like, yeah. So what you don't see, and same thing, every preacher, every preacher I love to listen to, we like the sermon, right? That's, that's what we're judging them on, the presentation of the sermon. We do not know how much time they spent in their prayer closet. We don't know how much time they spent in the Word. We don't know how much time and influence they leveraged to understand deeper the truth of the original language that it was written in the context and the, the pieces. And we, don't, we don't see any of that. 
in chapter number nine, listen to what happens. Uh, it says in the first couple of verses that Daniel was reading his Bible. He was reading his Bible. He says in uh, I, Daniel, verse number one, two, in the first year in his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord that Jeremiah the prophet must pass to end the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. You know what Daniel says? I was reading the book of Jeremiah. I've been reading the word. We, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I've read the book of Daniel over and over again. I never really considered that the man of God was sitting down reading the Bible. I considered he was just, he was just having dreams, just saying, saying visions. He says, listen, I was, I was in the word. And then there's a new fire that sparks in Daniel. He says, that number was 70 years. It's been 68. Now you can almost sense this prophet getting to become nearly an evangelist, right? He is now in front of people saying, hey, listen, I've read the book. And the book says it's time. The book says it's, the time has come. It is ready to go. So now Daniel says, because I've been reading the book, I'm, I'm going I'm to explain a few more things that we need to know. Here's, here's what we need to know. I love it. He's been in exile for 68 years. He knew this time was about to be fulfilled, and it was ready. So what does he do? I, I love it. What does he do? Oh, this is so, so, so good. What does Daniel do? When he, when he gets this fire and experiences something from the Word, let me tell you something every preacher needs to know. If a preacher's listening to this on a podcast, here's what you need to know. Whenever you get a word from the Word, whenever you get a word from the Holy Bible, then you need to pray. That's what Daniel did. He began to pray. He, he didn't say, I'm going to take and run my mouth. He didn't say, I'm going to take and post to every media I can. He says, I am going to pray. So he begins to pray for his people. He begins to make intercessory prayer. Why? Because he sees something incredible happen. Now, in chapter 9, I wish that I could tell you all of the things that happens. Uh, because there is another uh, prophecy that happens that he takes place of the 70 weeks. There is something in the Hebrew language. Uh, and, in the, the, uh, the, and, this, and this book, by the way, was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, which was the language of the Babylonians, uh, only Old Testament book that was written primarily in Aramaic. And, um, but there's something about the original languages that we need to understand. And I, if I could break down this prophecy, I would. Uh, we obviously do not have the time because this, this one is numerical and mathematical. I love this prophecy because it is like all the numbers stacking up. And let me tell you, all these numbers stacking up, there's, there's all these different pieces and parts. Um, there's, there's a little bit of speculation that I have after, after adding up some numbers and figuring out some things, but um, they, uh, there, there is a, a, a piece and a thought that, that Israel would stay, that the people of God would stay in the land. I can't stop. I just got to, I got to say it. So the people of God would stay in the land for 70 weeks. A week was seven, seven years. So the, the term weeks is not just what we th- consider a seven day week. It is um, the weeks of, of uh, pro- prophetically years, which meant that they would stay in their, that the people of God would stay in the people of God's place or the, uh, the nation would stay in inhabitable land for this many years, 77, uh, 70 times seven years. So this is 480 years or so that has taken place. Um, there's a piece of information that comes in. I, I think, and there's, um, depending on who you read and what you read, everybody has like a little different time frame on this. But what, I, what I'm seeing is that uh, a, a really great thought, so here's, a, I wrote it down so I didn't, so I didn't mess it up. Um, the time ended, that, that year, the 70 weeks uh, of the 70, 70 times 7 years uh, ended, this is a great thought, ended when Jesus was rejected in Jerusalem at the time he came. So it's, it says, it's, it's this happened. It's God saying, if you reject my, my, my Messiah that I am sending, then the nation of Israel, as we know it, um, he's, he's come to, he, he wanted to dwell in front of us, right, in the tabernacle. He wanted to dwell among us with Jesus and the Messiah. And then he's now saying, in order for me to dwell in you, it's not just a national thing anymore. This is a kingdom thing. And it, it was God's plan the whole time. And as he works through it, um, there's also another time gap that happens. And that time gap that happens during the church age. So 
I know you're saying like, I don't understand any of this. It's, it's so, so, in, it's so interesting. It's so incredible because there's this time gap. So after the time of the rejection happens, after the 70 weeks, it's quote unquote, uh, the 70 weeks in, in Daniel chapter nine, there's a time that ends and then there's a gap of time and then there's another seven weeks left. There's another seven weeks. Left. That seven weeks gives us the understanding of the time of the Antichrist, which half of his time, and then there's a, tribulation, there's a tribulation time that comes along with it. Now, that's some speculation. I don't know that, okay? I don't know that because I'm not there yet. But I'm, I'm telling you that the Scripture says there is a gap of time, and that gap of time is, I, I consider it the church age. It's whenever Jesus Christ ascended. Some people, some people uh, measure out the days to whenever Jesus ascended to heaven. Some people say it's the moment he was rejected uh, in the Passion Week. Some say it was the moment he was rejected whenever he was a, a, a younger in his ministry and different times. But ultimately, God says, these are my people, and here's my, here's my way to bring them into relationship with me. Daniel chapter 9 is amazing. It is so crazy. And Daniel didn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's, he's studying, reading, and praying, and then there's this vision that comes. And then what happens in chapter 10, he gets a visitor. Angel shows up. He's in mourning. Um, he's in, in chapter number 10, Daniel is in mourning. And the reason he's in mourning is because during this season, uh, if you remember when we talked about this way back uh, in another book study, um, the, uh, Cyrus, the Persian uh, king, had set a decree that the people of God could go back to Jerusalem. Right? Remember that? And so the exile was over. Now the remnant can return. And not everybody returned. There was a small group that returned the first time. There was a, a larger group that returned the next time. And then a largest group that returned the last time. So it was in the middle of this that Daniel was mourning. I think he was sad because his people weren't going back home is what I think. I think he was sad because the people of God said, we're comfortable here in, in Babylon, in the world. We're comfortable. We don't need any, uh, any, any places back in Jerusalem. But he goes, uh, so he's in mourning. Um, that's, that's the time frame that we see. Um, and then he prays and immediately God responds. In this immediate moment, there's a, a visiting man who is terrifying to Daniel. He's scared of him. Um, and it's, it's a really cool scene. I've got to move on. Chapter 11 uh, is the, you know, we talk about the silent years of God from Malachi to Matthew. Right? We talk about those, those 400 years of silence. Um, if, you, if you were to say, we just don't know anything that happened in those 400 years, I would say, actually, Daniel chapter 11 gives you some pretty cool details about it. So that talks about what will happen within those 70 weeks, right? which is the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and whenever Jesus comes back, and so uh, whenever he comes the first time. So in chapter 11, it uh, gives us those silent years great details. The first 35 verses of chapter 11, if you want to do some Bible study on your own, first 35 verses deal with that historical time uh, leading up to um, the, the person that will be in leadership before the book of Matthew. And then the last 10 verses of chapter 11 deal with the coming Antichrist, which will be, again, there's a gap, right? Daniel seems to have this gap in it that's this church age that he just can't quite comprehend or he's not quite getting the word from the Lord exactly. A lot of history, a lot of history, a lot of history in Daniel chapter 11. Chapter 12, uh, we see this angel spoken about again. Michael, the angel, is brought up a couple of times in the book of Daniel. Uh, he is a, a, a primary character uh, in, we're going to get to know him, um, not necessarily just through the study of the word, we're going to get to know him personally because there's a day coming in the end where he's, he's a big part of what we experience. Um, so pretty cool, pretty cool angel guy. Uh, Gabriel comes and talks to Daniel, which I think is really cool. We see, you know, we see Gabriel later on uh, in the scripture as well. Um, the, uh, in, in chapter 12, uh, it talks about the end time. It talks about the tribulation. It talks about uh, just the end time time frame, the Antichrist time frame. Um, and so there's, there's so much to, to pack and unpack here. And um, I, I know that today, today may have been as confusing as mud. You're like, I'm more confused now about the book of Daniel than I've ever been. Uh, here's, here's what I'd like to end on. Um, as I was reading through this and looking through Daniel again, I noticed something. Um, the closer I got to the end of the book of Daniel, the more days seemed to matter to me. Because here's what I realized. Every day, we are a day closer to the consummation of this kingdom. 
like every day. And if, if you, you know, prophecy can get to a point, I, I bet you I read, I bet I read 300 pages of, of, of prophecy commentary on this for, this, for this study, which is why it probably made no sense, because like, I, it's hard to pack all that in. But I, I looked through this, and what I, what I gleaned from it the most is that the days are numbered, and we are getting closer. The number is getting smaller. The number is getting, I think, microscopically smaller. I think we're really, really close. Um, and I hope that as each day brings us closer to Jesus, that each day we are getting closer to Jesus. Not just timeline, but in our own personal walk. Daniel was a man who, when faced with tribulation and trial and tests, he said, I trust the Lord. He said, I'm going to read my word. I'm going to read the word of God and I'm going to study it and put it, implant it into my life. And then when he did, his prayer life increased even more. And this is the guy who prayed, I mean, fervently, passionately prayed early on in this book. This is a guy who, whenever he started praying, then he was a part of the, the prayers that led to the, the, the word of God being spoken and fulfilled. Like, this is awesome. Daniel got closer and closer to the Lord. And the closer he got to the Lord, the more urgency that happened in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And again, he was, oh, he was 92 when he was writing these, these last three chapters. As fast as a 92-year-old man's, man's hand can write. And I just think if we are looking to that day, not knowing the day, but knowing the truth is, it's a day closer than yesterday. I mean, it is a day closer than yesterday. I'm not even joking. I'm not lying. It's a day closer than yesterday. And tomorrow, if we all wake up tomorrow, we are another day closer. And I don't know how many days there are left. I, ha I have thoughts. I have ideas in my head. Are they right? No, <laughs> they're not. I don't know. That's why I would never say them to a group of people. Oh, well, here's the, the time frame. I think the Lord's coming back. I don't know. No man knows. It's whatever day. God's got it on his calendar. And his calendar is, is getting close. Every page that turns, is an, it, we are getting close. I think we're on the page where we can see it. Um, so I think we need to just be sure that we are as close to Jesus as we can be personally. So let's take that challenge today from the book of Daniel. Next week, we are going to be looking in the book of Hosea. Uh, let's pray today as we end our time together.